0: Sonic states.
1: Who have we got this week? Welcome to Sonic Talk number 56. Uh, we're going live on the 16th of August, um, recording today on the 15th. So today's a Wednesday. Tomorrow, today, tomorrow will be a Thursday. Uh, who have we got this week? We've got Mark Tinley, of course.
0: Hello. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I've... um. I've got my line sex thing here and I was playing around with it earlier on and I was, um, I was trying to make a nice sort of sound for my voice so first I set everything up. This is the sound that I thought wow this sounds fantastic. I sound good. This is how I want to come across. Yeah. And then I changed all of the settings of any of the sort of um, variables to divisibles of 9. Okay. That is your want. Which sounds like this. So just so does the one with the divisibles of nine sound any worse or better? To be honest, I'm
1: hard-pressed to tell any difference whatsoever. I think you might sound slightly less fulsome in, the, uh,
0: in that one. Uh, obviously, uh, this is something I do a lot when I'm working for people. I change everything to divisibles of nine, so I'm thinking, you know, am I, uh, am I improving things by doing that, or am I making them work? It that doesn't sound noticeably
1: different, to be perfectly honest, but um, thank you for there trying. You and, uh, obviously, if it makes you feel more comfortable, than use the divisible by nine, because I know that you like that one.
0: I think I'll, I'll stay on that one. Good. I've got, I've got PJ Tracy talking to me on Skype. Is he on with us? Oh, I didn't think he
1: was. Uh, let's go and get him. Hello, PJ Tracy from Indianapolis. Uh, Minneapolis, even. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning.
2: <laughs> I was on holiday last week.
1: Oh, okay. And uh, rather bizarrely, Mark, who just uh, introduced you, um, has just dropped off the line. So uh, let's quickly introduce Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut. How are you doing, Rich Hilton? Good to have you back. Thank you very much. I'm doing well, thanks. How was was Belgium?
3: Well, we were there. uh, We had so many good friends meeting us there and uh, people being nice to us. It was just great and a beautiful city, Leuven.
1: Brilliant. So uh, that was a sheet gig, I presume, was it? Yeah, it was a festival show
3: Saturday night very ah. well
1: well that's good um and that might tie in with one of the topics i've got lined up so uh we'll hopefully uh, get to your thoughts on that later uh and also dave spears from g software how are you doing dave i'm good thank you right okay well um let's jump straight in uh, this this topic i found um was a anatomy of an album leak and I thought this article on uh, Ryan's smashing life at bl- uh, one of his blogs was actually going to tell us um, how it happened. But there are a few interesting facts here. And one one was, for every five or six albums produced in the United States, it's said that there's at least one major hit song or album leaked early. The worst case scenario being the entire album, you know, hours, days, weeks, or even months before the schedule released. So um, I had a bit of a search around, and I found some interesting uh, points. And they und- identified um, these particular places where an album could be leaked and obviously the first one is at the studio and this say they say according to this uh, list could happen four months before release. as obviously as soon as a record is finished Anyone from the producer, engineer, band members can spoil the fun. Or alternatively, this could be, you know, it could be even earlier than that if it's still in the demo phase. Um, At the label, obviously, where they reckon three and a half months before release, uh, labels send albums out to companies, uh, journalists and what have you. Um, Usually they add a digital encryption code that can identify evildoers but not necessarily stop them. The next phase is at the press, which is, say, three months before release. And then uh, also at the plant, um, which is before they do the final press, um, which could be up to about a month before. uh, Or finally, at the warehouse, which will be up to two weeks before release. And I just wondered um, if anyone had ever had that happen to them uh, on a project they'd been working on.
0: Yes. Lots of times and all the time because the dorand takes so long to record their records that it happens all the time. Um, But it happens by various different means. Sometimes it's members of the band which will give CDs to fans, which I think is insane, personally. And then the fans just distribute it between themselves. But um, other more bizarre ones have been um, fans caught on... uh, We used to record a lot of stuff in Warren Cucurulu's house in Battersea and catch fans standing on his doorstep with dictaphones because uh, the band kind of listened to stuff fairly loud. Right. I mean, obviously, we're in a if we're in a domestic environment. There's not much more than a you know a pair of acoustic curtains and a, a window between us and the outside world. So you get people just literally standing on the doorstep with a dictaphone, taping it, and then distributing it between themselves. So it ha- yeah, it happens a lot.
1: I suppose also if you ba- if the band are, st- are gigging and they're maybe trying new songs out on an audience, there's a way for it to get out there as well.
0: That's very true, actually. Yes. Yes. That's happened as well.
1: Anybody else? I mean, Rich, you've you've had a long and illustrious recording career. I mean,
3: I don't know of any incidents where it did. I'm sure it probably did, but I don't know of any of those things. And for me personally, it was always a matter of uh, professional integrity. Yeah, sure. To not be a source of the artist's work that the artist hasn't himself herself authorized. What's uh, told-
0: not Totally agree with that. You, you absolutely—that is a rule. You absolutely cannot break as an engineer. You can't give stuff away to people.
3: I mean, never mind give stuff away. I've uh, been, shall we say, um, I've, I've been, I've had a discussion about the fact that I once played something for two or three people that we knew very well. You know, so it's uh, it, we're very tight to the vest with the work we do, and I've learned to. Respect the artist in every case in those. And because of that, I tend to think, given uh, Nick's scenario wherein we have all these different areas where these leaks could be taking place, that, and I'd like to think, that they take place further down the line from people who are actually directly in contact with those artists. Right. So, you know, mastering, I, I doubt Mastering House even, because again, no, just could to break their business. a high it? level of professional integrity in most Mastering Houses I've been in. And uh so I would tend to think it's a little further down the line, or promotion people, or sure. record company stuff, demos that fly around, the ones you do have to burn and send or give away. If somebody
1: were to sort of um put the equation of their sort of professional integrity against I don't know, a payoff, I mean, it couldn't actually make them any money. I mean, it's not like selling a story to a tabloid newspaper where you could, you know, you could say, I know, Dolly Parton wears a wig or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And have a photo and therefore it would might be worth several thousand or tens of thousands of dollars or pounds or whatever i mean does it work it can't work in the same way with music can it really
4: like i completely agree with rich that there is a certain amount of it there is a higher level of integrity with people who are closely associated with a band but it does make me nervous you know if if stuff is leaked that the finger can point in all sorts of directions so i think there you know you try and keep things as close to home as possible
1: right and that impacts on creativity i think there's a lot of it's just down to, you know, it's kind of the same thing that just happened with Harry Potter. If you have an album release date, you can build the hype, and it just sort of ruins that a little bit. Or does does it ruin it, or does it contribute?
2: I, I guess I would, I would think it, it probably depends on the scenario. If, uh, if a demo gets released several months before an album comes out, it might re- misrepresent that album and yeah. it might impact you know might impact sales people would say oh that's rubbish or you know i don't like that but uh in some cases i would imagine that um a band leaks songs to build hype surrounding their project in in that article it mentioned a blog band that had released their entire album gave it away to anybody that would that would take it and to good effect for them
1: but i don't know i just i I guess it's easier now i mean how did it used to happen because you'd have had to sort of sneak off with a kind of a half inch tape or something you know before cassettes and CDs i mean i just like that that sort of sounds a lot more clandestine i mean i guess it just didn't um d- it just didn't happen as much in those in the uh, the sort of more magneto magneto days
0: how about the troggs tape then that's a pretty famous example isn't that it that is yeah well that's priceless
1: isn't it i don't know if anyone's familiar with that but it's the troggs in the studio and they're really they're just very funny because they're just bickering and arguing about stuff and it's just
3: <laughs> makes them out to be complete idiots really i'm not sure it didn't happen more during the analog era now that i'm thinking about it because more yeah. people came in contact with a given single recording during the making of it back then in my experience right
0: there's a very famous uh mark bolan and c-rex one isn't there is it ride a white swan i think Oh right, no. they they're all sitting around, he's trying to get the chorus and he's doing large mounds of cocaine on this recording and, and in the end tries something else out and in the end he just goes, oh, <laughs> "Ah, how nah, na 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 yeah, that'll do. And, and, and it carries <laughs> on like that. Very funny. Yeah. And that's the one we got. Yeah. That's the one we got
4: and it was great. <laughs> yeah, the Hey Jude one. No. Oh my God, some monitor guy turned up. Uh, Linda McCartney's... Vocals, oh, yeah, did the mix of that
1: oh, yeah. that's
4: fairly legendary. I've heard that.
1: yes, I've heard about that that was kind of contributed in some in some great way to uh paul Linda being l- um labelled as a really really bad singer, and you know she may well have been she may may have just had an off day but uh, yeah she she did get rather uh rather tarred with that particular
0: <laughs> that one. Why, why do these things still get handed around on cassette that's the weird thing I mean where is the website with all these things on because there well, should be one been,
1: they've probably been closed down by the people who hold yeah. the original copyright I'd imagine but, I would yeah. imagine they have yeah. uh, but it's fascinating because it is stuff that you wouldn't normally hear I suppose which is a bit <laughs> different to the album leak stuff but I mean we're, we just love it don't we really
0: it's just kind of oh yeah have you heard one of my podcasts I have to bring this up at this point if you do a search for Duran Duran uh, in the south of France or something like that, I can't remember them, but basically, when the five original members got back together, um, I recorded everything that happened all of those days so um, and with the knowledge of the band, I edited up um, a lot of the things that were said in between the writing of the songs and um, released that as a podcast, obviously with their all oh,
1: right we'll have to have a look at that that's that does sound interesting yeah <laughs> this chap called uh, james j Calaris has sort of had a kind of pseudo medical stroke marketing doctorate sort of approach on this and what it is is uh, it's called earworms he calls these things earworms which are songs that get stuck in your head and obviously as people who work in studios and uh, listen to the same song perhaps you know 500 a thousand i don't know however many times it works out um is this something you suffer from from things that you work on or is it something that you suffer from, you know, maybe it's just something you hear in passing on the radio more from or do you not suffer from it at all? Who'd like to go first? Dave? It just pops
4: into your head, doesn't it? No, I don't get it when I'm working. I um, get it like when I'm walking. And in fact, ever since you sent me this, I've had the old Kylie can't get you out of my head tune rattling around my head ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say it's a small world does win.
1: It's a, i don't know that one it's a small world oh my word oh, to don't, play to, don't play it don't play to me
4: <laughs> no I've, I've actually learnt to quite enjoy it because you can irritate the hell out of people and go hey guess what's buzzing around my head
1: yes <laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like yawning isn't it it's sort of as soon as you tell somebody about it or you whistle a, a phrase from it somebody else will pick it up i mean in the same way that if you're in a room full of people and you start yawning everybody else will start yawning <laughs> yeah. i wonder if it's the same sort of psychology but um, apparently, Kilaris uh, says nearly 98% of people have had songs stuck in their head. Lots of people had trouble with the, the Chili's Baby Back Ribs jingle and uh, the Baja Men song, which I, do, who let the dogs out, which I, yes, I, I went, who let the dogs out, who, 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 which they play on my local football <laughs> ground. One of the reasons I stopped going. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm Rich, you, you, you're obviously working a lot in the studio and everybody else. I mean, how, how do you find, find it? I get songs stuck in my head sometimes.
3: Um, it doesn't always bother me. And if it does, I'll just play some other, completely other kind of music to try to make it go away. That's what some people say is the only cure. Displacement. That's the only thing that works for me. I will actually, if I'm working long enough hours, I will sleep work for a while. I, I'll, yeah. you know, like when I'm sleeping, yeah, I'll continue yeah, yeah. to be working on whatever I thought I was working on when I was awake.
1: Yeah, I get that too. Do you wake up with a, with a good solution though sometimes? Occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally because sometimes, sometimes you can get to that point where the song where you know you're just banging your head against the wall and you, the best thing would be just to leave it alone and come back to it after you've focused your attention elsewhere for a while, but sometimes you can't and i've I don't know if anyone has had that where I get the stage where I actually I physically can't look at the screen and I just want to start crying because I can't take any more you know editing this drum part and I get another sort of random directive from the people I'm working with that just makes no sense, and I just think I can't take any
3: more. <laughs> <laughs> But a lot of the ones on this list here are actually really, really, I believe, successful melodic hooks, and that's why people remember them and care about them. And is you know,
1: but imagine what it would have been to have written one of those. I mean, wow! That's, the, that's what
3: I mean. Thank you very much. I, they're very, very <laughs> successfully crafted hooks. Yeah. on one level, I'll tell you mine, and then I've got a question. Uh, mine
0: at the moment are uh, all the. Theme tunes from Thomas the Tank Engine, and it's driving me absolutely up the wall. <laughs> ah, ah, small children's is, uh, syndrome. Yeah, God. but this is because uh, my son is quite into Thomas the Tank Engine. Started watching this thing, and there's this song that goes, "These troublesome trucks are gonna get you in the end," and it it's stuck in my head. Um,
1: what's that noise? <laughs> Sorry, I was whistling the theme tune rather tunelessly. I just thought if I could subliminally get it, get it in there. Oh uh, yes, I can understand. Actually, Mark, I have to say we have a series in the the UK called Wonder Pets, which is the one that gets me. I Are these
0: all major key things, though? Do you think it's um, they're more hooky because they're they're major? Because the children's music, children's music is generally major.
1: Yeah, perhaps escape, so, isn't it? Perhaps so. Perhaps so. I mean, and I find you know because. Daddy, I want the, the the little songs tape on, comes on a lot in the car, you know, when we're driving somewhere, and it's... If I hear, you know, I can't, I can't even think. Some of them I don't mind listening to because they're well-crafted, and some of them I really hate because they've just basically switched on a Bon Tempe organ and sung over it, and I just really resent the fact that nobody's even bothered to make an arrangement properly, you know. But that's yeah. just me as a musician, you know, I suppose. Do, does anyone find that they get um, their own things stuck in their head? Because, I mean, say, for instance, you come up with a line or a melody or something that you that you think, oh, that was quite good, and then you can't get rid of it. Do you get that at all?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I've done it with a couple of artists before, you know, if you're contributing stuff. Nine times out of ten, if you wake up the following morning and you're still humming it, it's a good thing. If you've forgotten it, then it wasn't worth putting
0: down. Mm. Why do they always release the other song, then? <laughs> 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 <They> never release <laughs> the <they're> <laughs>
1: d j you didn't get a chance to to say perhaps what uh, what was your last earworm?
2: Uh, well, I'm actually writing a piece for uh, Marquette University here in the states that's going to go in their new ad campaign, so I I get that melody stuck in my head quite a bit. But when I was when I was in college, I was a part time DJ at a at a bar, and. Uh, Woom, there It Is was released that year, and I would wake up in the middle of the night after dreaming about cars passing me on the street with that song pouring <laughs> out, <laughs> out of their stereo systems.
1: <laughs> so, Who did that? Was that Will Will Smith?
2: No, it wasn't Will Smith. I'm not sure i don't even i don't even know
1: you've tried to erase it that. from your mind i'm sorry to bring up bring yeah. up painful memories there pj <laughs> you, know,
2: you know what i learned a long time ago is that michelle by the beatles will cure any earworm for me if i start humming that in my head it gets rid of the other song oh okay then i then i can't get rid of that i keep hearing the uh, the guitar solo <laughs>
1: uh i can re- oh yes that, Is that the one that's very ever so slightly out of tune
2: yeah, but it's actually a beautiful melody.
1: Yeah,
3: oh, that's true. I would agree with you there. But- Apparently, it was an artist called Tag Team. Yes.
2: Ah, Tag Team? Okay. okay, thanks, Rich. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you can go yeah. download it again on iTunes, PJ. <laughs> I've got the lyrics before me as we speak. Ah. <laughs> oh, that's always funny, isn't it? When uh, I don't know if it, we did a, a um, an instrumental tune years ago, and there used to be a magazine called Smash Hits that used to print the lyrics to all the songs, and I remember getting a call from the Smash Hits people saying, um. What are the lyrics? And I just said, I just remember laughing, saying, it's an instrumental. But they still managed to, because we used the woo, yeah, woo, yeah, everybody get funky, you know, I mean, all those kind of <laughs> vocal songs. So they just put those in and st- <laughs> And that was it. There was a whole page and a picture of us with woo, yeah, woo, yeah, everybody get funky, you know, and that was it.
3: It's always best to read that Brilliant. stuff like John Gielgud, or John Gielgud or something.
1: Oh, what, like the Beatles and Peter Sellers, yeah. <clears throat>
2: yeah oh yeah. yeah or uh or um what's it william shatner
1: oh yeah <laughs> or Beatles, I, yeah. I particularly like the Le- leonard nimoy bilbo baggins that was one of my favorites
2: <laughs> that's that, my favorite that's
1: quite yeah. an earworm actually if you do get a chance to hear that but it's also <laughs> an eye worm if there's such a thing because you can't get the visual out of him you know the image of him sitting on a little hummock with those those sort of pixie chicks doing their go-go dancing next to him
0: <laughs> every time i take my son to the banger racing Um, which is, um, what's it called in America? Is it Destruction Derby or something? That kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, every time I take him there, there's this song by a band called Lieutenant Pigeon called Moldy Old Doe, which has... Every time the banger cars come out onto the track, they play this piece of music, and then for about a fortnight afterwards, I'm still singing. Well, <laughs> you know what? That
1: is a really bizarre thing because I did a remix um a long time ago, and I think it was uh, it was for I think it was a golf rap remix actually, and I uh, took the drum the, the drums from uh, Moldy Old Doe <laughs> as an inspiration. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't sample cool. them, but I did. I had all the snare work that was kind of all that sort of slightly military, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah,
3: it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the intro
1: that does it, and it's got that kind of, you know, but with the with the symbols. I'm going to sound like an arse if I try and make that with mouth music, so I'm
0: going to stop now. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit like um, it's a little bit like Lily the Pink
3: as
1: well. Yeah, isn't it? it's a it's a sort of military shuffle, isn't it? Almost.
3: Yeah. Yes. The new NN6 Music Production Synthesizer from Yamaha. Yeah. Codename Primo. The 61-note portable synthesizer with incredible sound power based on Motive tone generation. Real-time audio control. USB, USB connectivity and computer integration. Bundled with Cubase LE and MIDI sequencing software. Create, produce, perform with affordable and versatile NN6 Music Production Synthesizer from Yamaha www.mm6music.co.uk That was an
1: ad there from Yamaha UK, a very kindly sponsor of the podcast. Um, they would like to bring your attention to the MM6 Minimo synthesizer. It contains many of the sound set and the engine of the, the Motif series, but at much less cost. Uh, if you want to go and check it out, go to visit mm6music.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Sonic State. So festival season is, well, it's nearly done, isn't it? I suppose, what, are we mid or when does it finish? I suppose it finishes by the end of August. You know, in certainly in Europe, I think the festivals are sort of done by then. Maybe there's a, a few more in the States. And I just thought, you know, have, has anybody, any of us done any festival gigs? You know, what's the good bits about it? What's the bad bits about it? You know, what is it always like? I mean, all I remember about festival gigs is either being in the audience and being really out of it and thinking it was the best thing I've ever seen or being apart in front of the mixing desk trying to mix a band and sound check them in sort of you know 20 seconds and get them going and just being the one of the most stressful situations it's ever been usually finishing with a sort of my god I'm glad that over and feeling slightly euphoric does that does that ring any bells for anybody any of those
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah that's about the size of it yeah absolutely right
1: i mean i suppose maybe a lot of people don't realize what goes what goes into putting a band on a stage at festivals i mean does anyone have any uh, a, a simple perhaps a sort of simple explanation of the process involved yeah rush 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 play off the band shows up you pile, all <laughs> the, you pile all the kit you set it all up on risers you wheel it onto the stage you plug your you plug all the lines in you get if you're lucky you get a line check for 10 minutes w- with the front of the house and the monitors and then it's like go you're on <laughs> and the first three songs are the sound check and the monitors are always rub- Well, actually that to be fair it sounds worse than it is because There is a sort of organic level that everything fits, and unless you're going on as a sort of, uh, I don't know, an acoustic band with no drums after a whole series of rock bands with two drum kits, there's a sort of level, everything kind of fine, you know, there's a sort of fairly natural EQ and a fairly natural sort of setting level. That's assuming you're not uh, right at the high end where you've got your own desk and all the C presets are set up for you. So you kind of if, if you 're at the sort of medium level where you get to share the same front of house desk and you you know you just get to use the same drum channels they're usually fairly well bedded in by that time, so it 's not always a complete nightmare as it you know it's not like it's
3: reinventing the wheel every single time is it well, it doesn't have to be, um, especially these days with the digital consoles in the live context, and uh, any band that's traveling and getting the digital console they want or bringing it can uh, get very close pretty quickly. Yeah. There is a couple of guys in Italy right now who are sort of our European sound crew. And one of the most impressive days of live audio mixing I've ever seen was executed by this gentleman named John Ryan, who um, stood in front of a band battle for about eight hours and mixed bands One after another, after another, after another, each of which had 20 minutes, basically, to do what they had to do. And John had them all sounding at least reasonable within two to three minutes. And, you know, like far better than I would ever have expected in some cases. And uh, it was really just a magnificent feat of audio mixing. And uh, it made a huge impression on me and gave me tremendous respect for John's ability. Have you ever done any front of house live stuff yourself? I have but not in a long long time and not under those kind of conditions nothing that large.
1: Obviously if you uh, get your if you get your own digital desk then you know it's really cool because basically the engineer turns up with a dongle like a USB stick plugs it in the sets on there you know and it's like recall bonk and then you know obviously you have to trim your effects and what have you but it's a beautiful thing to see if you can get that kind of level but it's they're very expensive those se- those systems.
0: I was going to say I've got a uh, sort of a past anecdote from the late 80s when my brother Adam was um, sort of at, at quite a high level over here in the uk and we did um, glastonbury i think the pyramid stage and at that point we hadn't really worked out that sort of professional touring acts should have uh you know more than one tech so i was acting as his uh you know i'd set all his keyboards up for him and then do his front of house sound and um so i'm doing glastonbury he's <laughs> doing the pyramid Stage. He's on stage, something goes wrong with his keyboard, and I'm doing the sound. And I'd never been that far away from the stage before, and I had to sort of get the desk set up where it looked about right, and then fight my way through the crowd, show someone a laminate, climb over a barrier, get onto the stage, sort the problem with the keyboard out, (laughs) and then get back to front of house again. in this festival setting it was a complete nightmare but um it it worked you know we we did the show isn't it he played the songs and you know but they said there's a sensor on the top of that hill up there and you're not allowed to go louder than 95 decibels at that point on the top of the hill there and i was like right okay where's that on that meter and there was this big box that looked like a you know going up like a graphic a sort of like a a graphic eq of leds Hmm. And um, and they said, right, your line is there. You're not allowed to go over that. And I balanced everything up very carefully and managed to hit 95 decibels for most of it. I don't know what it was doing, obviously, while I was running to the stage. But <laughs> 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 but it, you're right. It's like playing with a huge, huge hi-fi because yeah. there's no horrible sort of in. You know, I think big PA systems in echoey halls concern absolutely oh, bloody yeah. well, awful
1: I, we could have another, let's have another one about having to set those up but perhaps not today Dave you've you've been you must have been there you've toured with a lot of bands both have you done any front house yourself or are you m- mostly on stage kind of guy no, no
4: mostly on this is way back in the 90s touring with Debbie Harry doing all the festivals and uh, the promoter decides to save a little bit of money we're going to hire keyboards in at specific festivals (laughs) and certain keyboards had just come out so we had to forward our own gigs so i'm ringing up and this is uh a The Leisand Festival in Switzerland, which was a great, great festival, actually. And uh, so I ring up in advance. Yeah, have you got JD800? Have you got DX7? Have you got Hammond? Have you got this? Have you got that? Yep, 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 no problem, which, of course, they always say. And you get there, and uh, the stage manager comes up to me mid-morning and says, "Uh, you know, none of your keyboards are here. So I'm like, oh, bloody hell. I'm thinking it's a wind-up, so I go down to the production office. Needless to say, nothing's turned up, nothing's arrived. So I'm running around the whole morning like a lunatic looking at what gear's available trying to blag whatever i can to kind of cobble together something that will get us through the set and uh, the great thing about debbie's stuff is that half of it was programmed and the other half was just blatant rock and roll so i was kind of thinking well if we rearrange the set list like this so i'm running around i see a d50s so i think like, oh, okay i can reprogram that so who's is that oh it's dave stewart where is he uh he's just around the back there so i go skidding around the corner all right Dave, 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 you don't know me, but um, I'm Debbie Harry, and uh, any chance that I can blag you, call BX Organ and uh, the D50. And then I turn around and look, and he's halfway through an interview with MTV. (laughs) (laughs) So he just goes, yeah, yeah, all right, do it. Anyway, we got through the gig, and uh, in fact, it it went so well that in the end, Debbie got me up afterwards and said, this guy is the guy who saved the show. But fast forward, a couple of weeks later, the tour's finished. I run away to Amsterdam with my then-girlfriend, and uh, I'm in a hotel somewhere, and all the festival stuff's coming on, and I'm looking at it, and she's in the bathroom, and as, I, as I'm channel-hopping, I see myself go skidding into Dave Stewart's interview. <laughs> <laughs> But the best bit is, they kept the camera rolling, and his expression afterwards was just priceless. It was a complete rolling of eyes. Who's that? <laughs> <as one? laughs> Brilliant. Have you got it? Have you got it on tape? No, I wish I had. Oh, that's a shame. I wish I had. But I mean, the major, major hassle from my point of view was the power, because in a lot of festivals, the power was so shaky. And if you're trying to run any kind of computer system, sometimes things would just die
1: that's very true i mean that's the one thing that's especially the true now any spikes or whatever you can lose all your presets if you're going to be doing any festival gigs make sure you got backup, backup, back up back up back up because I, it can just be you know
4: i got lulled into a fantastic full sense of security we did uh, wembley stadium with excess and roachford and jellyfish which was a phenomenal gig and then we went straight from there to a hell's angels festival and of course they're expecting everything to be exactly sober. I mean the generator you could hear it going and of course nothing worked and I was like we're going to get killed. We're going to be killed.
1: <laughs> Rich, uh, do, you, do you do many festivals or are most of the sheet gigs these days kind of private more sort of uh, sober affairs?
3: Well the, that's pretty much the two extremes and we do do a bunch of festivals. Um, earlier you mentioned America. I don't See I mean, there are festivals in America, but the most festivals I see are in Europe. Mm. I mean, I think somewhere around Belgium and Holland, there are like hundreds of festivals across the length of the summer yeah. um, and there were ju- There were a number going on just over the few days that I was there last week. Uh, so I've played a number of festivals in some pretty magnificent surroundings, and in our case things are always certainly for me pretty easy because i play in the band so i don't really have to see most of the nightmarish parts that go into making it happen i know what they are and i often hear about the nightmarish parts but i don't have to participate in them i'm quite uh enjoying the luxury of showing up and playing the show you know loading my sounds and playing the show and typically in fact almost without exception we get sound checks Earlier in the day, and we uh, hopefully have our own crews who, have, uh, you know, who are storing our stuff on digital boards so that when we come back on, we're at least picking up something like where we left off. Lately, the, the digital thing has been so strong that I feel like when I start a gig, I'm picking up where I left off at the end of the previous gig. In terms of the monitoring, it's really pretty magnificent. Well, that's where they're
1: really, really happening because uh, uh, digital front of house boards are still not as common as digital monitor boards because obviously the monitoring is particularly within ear. You can't mess around because if you cock it up and you get a big spike, you can do someone's hearing in, so you need it. I know Golf Rap Tour with their own digital monitor desk. You know, They take whatever they've got, but they always take their own monitor board and they put that in because they know that they're going to get what they need.
3: Well, we generally specify and pretty often get what uh, what has been asked for. Right. Well, that's great. I going to say, I
0: seem to remember
3: uh, wandering
0: around with a bag full of EPROMs for K2000s when I was touring with Duran Duran, because we'd advance shows and ask for K2000, and you'd end up with one with, like, version one operating system in it, instead of what I was on, I think, 3.7 or something. Right. So I used to have to open them up and, and put RAM in them and change the operating system and stuff. Get it? Yeah. God, I remember that. Shh.
4: I used to have the same with DX7s, the Mark 1s and the Mark 2s. Of course, inevitably, you'd be using
3: a Mark 1, and they'd, there'd be a Mark 2 delivered to the stage. Nice. Yeah, this is happening to me now with RD700s. I keep getting the second version, the SX, and I need the first version.
1: Wow, well, what can you do? Can you reprogram to use the, the new version,
3: or how does it work? I, have a, I do have a set of programs that will work. In the new version, but I don't like it nearly as much as the old. And I have not yet, maybe one time, been stuck playing that part of the show on the SX. Typically, I get at least one garden variety RD seven hundred.
1: Okay, well that's the thing that's scary. I mean, it, for, you know, the, if if it doesn't work out, and as a musician, they suddenly say, "Sorry, mate, um, you've only got you know a snare drum or a two string bass, or you know the equivalent of nothing like you need to to put the show on." Then, but it's two minutes to go on. That must be pretty terrifying i'd imagine i know pj you're a player as well i mean do you play many gigs i mean have you ever had that sort of thing happen to you
2: uh the only time that something like that's happened to me it wasn't at a festival gig but at a uh in an auditorium show and i i was to play the piano and and sing i was the front man for a blues band at the time and uh they sat me in front of a, a horrendously out of tune upright aerosonic piano and uh i just had to Work my way through that gig um, sounding very honky tonk. And okay, this is in yeah. front of, you know, 2,000 people. So, so you did a lot was, of Dr. Uh, John stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, it was. It was a lot of, yeah, a lot of stride and a lot of boogie woogie, basically, you know, just trying to rewrite the set on the fly, as we, you know, to, to make way for the.
1: And uh, it's a recurring nightmare I have, actually, being, fo- being on stage with a bunch of people who can play, having to try and wing a set of songs that people really know in the audience so you know it's really hard not to, to you know to, to to make them absolutely
2: <laughs> i had a roadie drop one of my my corgo o1w pro x um about 10 years ago before a gig and broke two keys i'm not a surprised show. <laughs>
1: <They're> very heavy
2: <laughs> yeah they're extremely heavy yeah and uh just dropped one end of it broke two keys and i you know i played i think i played three shows with the broken with the broken keys but you've got 88 so Three, you're not going to miss them.
1: Yeah, but they're the three you need, aren't they? That's <laughs> one.
2: Always <laughs> the I three once. you need.
0: <laughs> I once hit my EPS sampler very, very hard with a bottle of wine and smashed a few keys off, but to be honest, it didn't make any difference at all to my play. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I did that to my Roland uh, Juno 106. I dropped a, a TR 505 on it and I left the broken key on there for, I think, two years before I got around to opening up the machine and replacing it. Way to go,
1: though. You broke a 106 with a 505. It could have been yeah. like, Should have been a 909, really, to be, you know, you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah,
0: I just remembered something else about festivals that I actually really, really like. And that is when you go to Europe and play festivals, there's bands that are big in Europe, all over Europe, or sections of Europe, which, um, which just you've you know, not heard of here for years or just aren't big here. So you'll get on a set, and, and it'll be like you know, various different people you've heard of. It might be like Prince, Duran Duran, and uh, David Hasselhoff, <laughs> or... <laughs> golden earring i mean like david hasselhoff i mean he's the baywatch guy here yeah. isn't he and, yeah, absolutely and he's a massive star in germany yeah, germany's huge, huge yeah huge. and the same with golden earring they're huge in like belgium or luxembourg Dutch, or something golden they're, ring, aren't they? they're headline Snill? things yeah
4: wow <laughs> almost the converse of that i did a, a steve hackett gig in romania and uh, i was walking around the town before the gig started and i looked at the poster and there on the poster says steve hackett tonight you know the big auditorium and whatnot and there's a picture of
1: mike rutherford <laughs> <laughs> did you peel the poster off and take it in just to boost his ego before the show uh,
4: i was i couldn't really He'd have another identity crisis i did point it out to the to his manager who was a fantastic scotsman who operated on two levels one which was asked nicely and the second one was go mental so he asked the promoter to replace all the posters in the town
1: (laughs) did it make a difference (laughs) to the attendance
4: (laughs) uh bizarrely enough those kind of eastern european gigs are just mainly populated by the army and local dignitaries very few people you know locals who can actually afford to go and see
1: him I thought this might yield a few interesting stories and i'm I'm glad to say i was right so uh thanks very much for all of those memories um i think um perhaps i don't know we're probably fairly close to the end of the show really it's summer there's still a bit of time left we could skip off early and maybe go to the pub what do you say
0: yeah i'm gonna go and do some welding
1: (laughs) oh wow that sounds good What arc or gas arc welding yeah uh i can imagine you doing arc welding and angle grinding and stuff I've got an angle
0: grinder, yeah. I've can got he, two, actually. Really, what? A, two angle
1: grinders. A really big one and a very small one for delicate work.
0: Um, no, I've got one for cutting and one for grinding, and it's much easier to buy two angle grinders than to change the discs over all the time, so I bought two.
1: Isn't there no quick-release mechanism that you can kind of, you know, in the new ones? No. Uh. <laughs>
0: Because no, it might quick release when you're cutting. Yeah, you, don't want, you don't want a several thousand
1: plate. revolutions per minute steel disc flying through the air at head height or any other height uh, for that not matter. Good. Do
3: you? No,
1: no. Yeah. Make, make a hell of a frisbee though, wouldn't it? Oh
3: Excellent. my god! <laughs> <laughs> Sounds
1: fun. So, Mark, tell me, are, are you working on the uh, the Tesla coil and the gas um, the gas pipes organ that you're going to do to the side of your house? <laughs> and then I'm you're going to a... dance naked in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe covered in river mud.
0: I'm I'm chopping up my 380. I'm going to turn it into a chopper. I've got bored of the flat track look, and I'm going to cut the back off and put something different on there. You're making a chopper?
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Well, cool. What's that series
3: in America? Yeah, there's American Chopper. Yeah. Oh, yeah, American Chopper. Mark, you
1: need to get onto the TV company and just get them down there so you can have your own maybe UK chopper. (laughs) I don't know. Why not? Well, guys, um, thank you very much. That was most enjoyable. I feel um, I feel much better than I did before when uh, none of the software worked, and it seems to have held out. And the red light is still going, so I'm assuming it's all right. But although there was no backup this week because of that pesky OS ten point four point ten update. Don't do it, folks. So, uh, thank you very much, Dave Spears from G four Software. Thank you very much, and Rich Hilton from Sunny Connecticut. At least I hope it's sunny. It is sunny, and always a pleasure. Great. And PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Thanks for having me, Nick. By the way, um I heard about your bridge uh, incident. You were apparently on the bridge kind of not far befo- not before long before yeah, it went down. Wow.
2: About 20 minutes before the bridge collapsed. Jeez. I on that bridge. Oh Did, you, Did mm-hmm.
1: you feel kind of um, slightly blessed that day or or cursed? Very. Yeah. Very yeah. very blessed. Well, yeah. fortunately and there weren't that many fatalities cuz I mean that is a hell of a a, a piece of structure to go down. So <sighs>
2: Yeah, it's huge, yeah. and there were, you know, 70 people on it, so I'm, I'm, yeah, we're very grateful that only 13 went down. I, well, it's five fatalities and eight missing, so.
1: Mm, well, uh, uh, our thoughts go out to everybody who may have had some sort of involvement and, you know, knows anybody or whatever, so. So, uh, but goodness, thank goodness for you, Trey, PJ. I don't know what we would have done without you, so thanks for making it back. Thank you, thank you. And uh, Mark Tinley in sunny England.
0: Yeah, thanks right. You just reminded me some, of something PJ and that's um when I uh, when I lived in America I suffered from panic attacks for a while and I went to a lot of those kind of self-help groups and the majority of people who have panic attacks in America have a fear of crossing bridges. Is that right? Wow. Apparently so, yeah. I mean, look, you know, the, the majority of the groups that I attended there were people in there and that was their main fear. They couldn't Uh, take certain journeys because they would have to cross a bridge to get to a supermarket or something and they'd take a 20 mile round trip the other way or something so they didn't have to go to you know across the bridge so
2: you know it's interesting ever since this bridge collapsed i've noticed because i i take a bus almost every day to and from the studio if i if i'm not blessed enough to get a ride and uh now i cross um and and always and always have on the bus cross a bridge that's within view of that other of the 35w bridge which collapsed and i am extremely aware of the movements of that bridge underneath the bus as we cross over it, d- it doesn't cause me to have a panic attack but you can actually feel the bridge
1: moving right. you know
2: as as it bounces and sways and i and i've read now that that's actually a good thing that you the bridge needs to have some give that yeah. you don't want a brittle bridge that you're not feeling and also when i when i walk on the second level or third level in a mall a mezzanine in a mall you can feel the floor moving underneath your feet yeah. as you as you walk along it's it's a little disquieting if you pay attention
0: to it elevators yeah. don't get me started on okay, elevators. well that's not
1: because um
0: we need <laughs> okay, to we need good. to we
1: need to wrap up but thank you very much mark
0: no like well, elevators. Yeah, cheers thank you
1: OK, thanks for listening. That's it for another week. Um, remember, if you want to get in touch with us, there's a Skype handle. Um, you can leave an answer phone message there. Um, you can contact us there. Sonic Talk, that's the Skype handle that you can use. Or if you want to try the good old phone, um, that all hooks into our Skype setup. Um, in the US, our number is 312-376-8089. Or if you're close to the UK, uh, 0207-870-8616. Obviously, you'll need to put your country codes in front of those if you're calling from outside of those areas. Of course, you can always email us. We'll take MP3s or just work until we find at sonictalk at sonicstate. com
0: Sonic Statesman.
1: Nots call.